0: Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host for today, Sean McDowell, professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Today's guest is a good friend of mine who also is a friend of Biola, went to school here, and now teaches adjunct at Biola University, but also does a lot of other writing and working with students that we're going to get into. Dr. Jonathan Morrow, thanks for joining us. Hey, Sean, it is great to be with you as always. Well... Our topic for today, and you've written on so many different topics, is Generation Z. And I want to ask you about a major study that you and kind of the ministry you work with commissioned with the Barn Research Group. But first, start and frame this for us Who is Generation Z? Yeah, so that's the great place to start. So
1: Gen Z is the generation after millennials. So tons has been written, and rightly so, about millennials. But Gen Z follows after millennials. They are born between about 1999 and 2015. They'll be about 69 to 70 million when they're all said and done, and they'll be the largest American generation. So basically, it's today's teenagers, about 18
0: and under, and that is Gen Z. So what motivated you to commission really a major study? And I would say the most important and significant study of Generation Z with Barna. What motivated you to commission this?
1: Yeah, you know, here at Impact 360, we get a chance to work with just this generation. We work in summer experiences and our gap year and everything else to help, you know, young people follow Jesus for a lifetime. We don't want them just to follow Jesus when they're eight or 10. We want them to follow Jesus when they're 80, right? So we know the questions and doubts and insecurities and stuff that we see on a day in and day out basis here, but we wanted a broader, more national, more empirically research driven lens on how this generation views the world. What do they think about the biggest questions of life? And so then I reached out to David Kenneman, the president of the Barna Group, and we began work on this study, which we spent about a year and a half on. And it was a great experience. They're amazing. They do an amazing job with the Barna Group. But we wanted to kind of kind of as working with this generation, just see how are they approaching it and what's different about them than millennials and some of the big questions that we wanted to tackle and and see how
0: that kind of played out at an empirical level. David Kim and I actually went to school together, lived on the same dorm here at Biola, and he's on our board, so also just a friend of of what we do. So I'm thrilled to see you guys have met, connected, and produced this study. So let's start kind of on the 30,000-foot view Tell us some of the major findings. Now, as I understand it, you broke it down into four main areas of inquiry. So maybe tell us why you chose those areas and some of the big picture things that came out in terms of the worldview and behavior of those in Generation Z. Yeah,
1: for sure. So. Like I said, we did the nationally representative study. We did focus groups. We did study on Gen Z themselves. We did adults 19 and older. We worked with uh, youth pastors and parents. So we really wanted to get as many different lenses on this as possible. So we talked about kind of different uh, ways to see what are shaping their influences in this generation. So kind of the world according to Gen Z from from a cultural standpoint. Then we talked a lot about identity um, and how that matters and kind of how that engages. We talked about faith, truth in the church and then kind of making disciples in this generation. But a couple of just high points on some of those categories, um, you know, one of the things that emerged very clearly was they are screen agers, um, more than half of teens use screen media, four or more hours per day. That's about 57%. And about eight, you know, about 26% use screen media about, um, you know, eight or more hours a day. So that's a major thing. And we'll talk into more of some of the particulars, but they're also the first generation to be raised by, Parents who are on the screens, and that's one of the things that makes them different uh, from millennials. But another thing is their worldview is post-Christian. You know, they—they they, only about four percent of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. The Barna Group's been tracking this for the last twenty to twenty-five years, and uh, you know, about ten percent of Boomers had a biblical worldview, seven percent of Gen X, six percent of millennials, and now we see four percent. gen z so we see that trend downward in those categories that we've been able to map over the last 20 25 years that barn has been researching and then we see you know identity i mean goodness that we see for the first time that really family while still important is not of primary importance in shaping identity in gen z and that's a significant thing in terms of how they view themselves the success and those key formational things and then the morality and all those kind of questions. So. We, we dove into a lot of different areas to kind of get a big picture of where they're at. But one of the big key takeaways for me so far was just kind of the general confusion around this generation. We can kind of get into more of what's behind that.
0: Now, do you mean general confusion this generation has about the world or God or that older generations, ourselves included, have about Gen Z or both?
1: That's a good question. So, I would say a lot of moral and spiritual confusion um, around this that especially came out in the focus groups that we conducted with the Barna Group and things like that, and just their reticence to really make any sort of convictional statements on things, um, especially on the topics of morality and spirituality and things like that.
0: I I want to come back to some of these particulars that you talked about, but I'm curious because you've worked with students for a long time, you have a couple Gen Z years yourself as a father. What surprised you most about this study? Yeah, that that's, that's a
1: hard question because there's so much in it. But one of the things that honestly surprised me was how fast this generation has really changed and moved on questions of sexuality and gender. You know, um, you know, millennials. You could you could sense a shift was moving with them, but just the speed at which that shifted. I mean, you know, one of the things that we we discovered about 33 percent of Gen Z say gender is how a person feels and not their birth sex. I mean, that's a major shift. 12% describe their own sexuality as something other than heterosexual. And that's a ma- a major shift as well in terms of the speed at which some of those changes are happening. So there's, there's lots of things, but that's probably up there was just how fast. And then also honestly, some of the morality, <laughs> you know, there was one, one kind of baseline question we would kind of put in there to kind of gauge before we got to the controversial stuff on morality and, and only about 34% of Gen Z could agree that moral, that lying would be morally wrong. And so that was a very interesting one because even as you map that out next to the other generations that we looked at in this study, it was just a slow trend downward from boomers all the way down to Gen Z being in at 34%. So, so those are a couple of things that were pretty surprising to me.
0: As you know, Jonathan, I teach here at Talbot in the apologetics program, but I also teach high school part-time, and one thing I find my students increasingly doing is they'll open up an answer by saying, I feel this and I feel that, and I've trained them. I say, I care deeply about what you feel, but I want to know what you think. And the reason I do that is it sure seems to me that feelings are just arbitrating this generation more than before, so much so that my father and I were speaking recently, and he made a statement that stuck with me. He said, I think this is the first generation in which feelings even trump science. I'm wondering if you agree with that, your thoughts on that, if the data from the study revealed anything about how central feelings are to the way they understand and experience the world.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great observation. Um, The feeling, I feel that. I mean, I think this generation has this sense that how they feel determines what's real. And even more than what we see in the sciences and some of those kind of things, especially when it comes to gender, because you'd be like, okay, there's research here. Yeah, I don't care. This is the way I feel. And I can't be wrong about that, right? And so they don't want to offend people. And then all these feelings, when they collide, it's almost like they're wondering what they do, what they're supposed to do with this, because they're inevitably going to collide. And then so how they feel and then feelings are really tied to how they view freedom and satisfaction of their own desires and getting to do whatever they want to without as long as they don't hurt someone. And all of those things, I think, are interconnected among this generation uh, when it comes to how they view reality. But feeling and individualism emerged as major themes with Gen Z, um, especially when it comes to
0: questions of gender and identity and morality. That was that was a major, major thing. In talks that I give on Gen Z, I'll talk about how the boomers were the me generation. And then there was a cover on Time talking about millennials, I think, in 2014, calling them the me, me, me generation. And then I'll often point, I'll say, with Gen Z, it's the me, 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 me generation. And we almost see more individualism. You made a reference to that. Did the data show that this is really an individualistic culture in terms of how they see the world?
1: yeah it really is. I mean this this generation is very focused on on how they view things uh, from their perspective. and a lot of that is the nar- is the narcissism, which they've kind of inherited uh, from the other previous generations, but then also it's also social media and questions around kind of their they're at the center of their their universe nonstop. And so, that plays into how they view and shape reality, the percentages in terms of, you know, even the bullying that we see going on online, you know, one third report being bullied online um, and, and how that's, it's such this interesting dynamic because their world that's playing out um, in digital space, they want, they're competing for likes with people they want to be liked by and they want to belong, but then they're feeling, you know, and so it's, it's just weird dynamic, but yes, it is a very me focused generation, which, They've been discipled well by the previous generation. So that's that's kind of where we're seeing the fruit of those things
0: coming home for sure. I love that you just said there's individualism emphasized in this generation, but it's something they inherited. I think there's a tendency to just kind of pick on this generation, find all the <laughs> negative things and see it through that lens. So when I give a talk on Gen Z, I start by asking people to write down the first words that come to their mind when they think of, like you said, say age eight through teenagers and into college today. And then I ask them for the words. They're almost always negative. And I'll tell people, I say, man, the way we see this generation, positive or negative, will affect the way we relate to them. So let's take a step back away from the areas of concern. We'll come back to those. But what are some positive findings that the study revealed about Generation Z? Yeah,
1: for sure. I think this is one that's really, really important, Um, and it's the diversity of this generation. Half of Gen Z is non-white and that's a really significant development in, the, in terms of how they view one another and a lot of what we can learn from them because they're growing up with differences as just normal in terms of ethnic and race and things like that and, and given all the, you know, the conversation and, and just the confusion and, and all the different things going around in terms of, of race in our country that's an opportunity that I see some positive things from the research and from this study in terms of diversity and along with that um, empathy because they're going to view each other in a more positive way. Um, well, that, well, there's two sides of that. We'll come to the negative side of that later. But I think they have seen things play out um, in public, on media, and they come to people's defenses very quickly. And so there's an empathy that I think we can also learn from when it comes to this generation. And another thing that I see is, is that evidence matters to this generation. 46% want some sort of evidence or factual Um, support for their beliefs and that's a very positive thing as well so amidst all the 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 negative stuff i think you see a generation that does want to make a difference but i also think the diversity thing is going to be huge Um, the empathy is going to be huge Um, and i think honestly this generation is going to want evidence in ways that i think are really helpful and honestly fit very nicely with the christian worldview
0: That was one of the biggest things that surprised me from this, because there's so many people that talk about, and I think there's truth in it, you and I both agree, a sense of feeling motivates this generation, how they see the world. But on the flip side, I think it was 46 or 48%, you can correct me, said they want evidence. Now, that's interesting. I'm curious if you have a sense of why that is. Is it just the way that we're wired, made in the image of God? Is there some cultural thing that's going on that drives that? And then second, what are some of the big barriers that this generation has to believe in which evidence could help them overcome some of those barriers?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so it is. It's basically 46% want factual evidence, so you're spot on on that uh, from this. And I think one of the things is they've they've kind of been around seeing, you know, that we live in the era of fake news and all these kinds of claims and all this kind of stuff going on. And I think there's a sense in which okay, what's real? I think there's a real sense of what's going on there that they want to know what's real in this situation and that's they're after some truth there. Now they're also after happiness. 51% say the ultimate goal of life is happiness. Um, And curiously enough, a lot of that is around financial success and some of those kinds of things. But I also think, that you know they want factual evidence to support these things. So I think there's some cultural momentum there. I also think the fact that Gen Z is a blank slate in many ways. You know, in many ways, Millennials kind of reacted against a version of Christianity and hypocrites and things like that. Whereas Gen Z is like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not even sure what you mean by the church or Christianity or anything. Right there. So what what is this? And I don't want to believe something just because. You know, one thing that's interesting is half of church going teens say that church seems to reject much of what science tells us and that's an interesting insight as well because they're like well look if science says it's at odds with christianity that's a problem so i think there's this collision of wanting to know what's true but also evidence mattering and then science kind of still playing a big piece but then lurking in the background are those feelings determining what's real as we already talked about so it's an interesting cauldron and it depends on the issue Which one of those is going to come come out in the lead and then probably their experience and kind of what they've experienced up to that date at that point in their life.
0: With millennials, there was a lot of talk in the church the past 10 or 15 years about how they're leaving the church and leaving the faith. Now it seems, as you indicated, we have a new generation, many of which are being raised entirely secular. So it's like a second generation generation teenager that's a non-Christian, which is kind of novel in American culture. So, I'm curious your thoughts. How does this generation tend to view the Bible? And I realize we can't lump the whole generation and their views of the Bible, but are there any things that came out of the study about how they think about Scripture, Jesus, and some of the particulars of the Christian worldview?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, about 22% of Gen Z who said the Bible is the actual word of God And should be taken literally word for word um, Whereas that's that's a significant finding It's still a small percentage when you look at things as a whole You know, one of the things we discovered when they talk about um, The Bible versus science Is they see about, about 24% Would see the Bible and science as being in conflict And that's a significant thing as well um, You know, and so when they view the Bible So I think you're seeing this lack of literacy of what the Bible actually believe, what they actually understand about the Bible is just not there. Um, but then it's what, what I think, and this is, this is a good just general trend. You can map their views, especially as teenagers right now, they, that they're mirroring mostly their Gen X parents. And that's what's really interesting is because what's different about Gen Z in some ways from millennials is the fact that they're being raised largely by Gen X and millennial parents. Not by boomers. And so that affects screens and, you know, being raised in a house of screens. That's one thing. But then you can kind of see, especially right now, their their tendencies, they've kind of mapped the 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 layer of skepticism and literacy with which they're being raised in their homes, too. So Gen X, you know, those views right now are mapping pretty closely with where we see Gen Z because they're being raised in those in those households.
0: You've mentioned screens a few times, and I think it's unmistakable that one of the defining characteristics of this generation is just that they see the world through a smartphone. In fact, many of them learned how to swipe an iPad or iPhone before they learn to even read text. I'm curious, does the study or even your personal experience reveal how technology shapes the worldview, the beliefs, the relationships of this generation?
1: Yeah, it really does. And it's multiple, it's multifaceted. So there's the first issue is number one, they're just spending so much time on screens um, that that's just the sheer stewardship of time question. Then the second question is the law of influences. Okay, if they're on there, you know, 57% are on their four plus hours a day, and they have a 15 minute youth, youth group sermon on Sunday or a 40 minute sermon, you know, which one of those is going to win? That's just the sheer information volume is going to swamp one or the other. Another thing, though, is the anxiety and depression levels of this generation are continuing to just skyrocket. And I think the research, not only the research we did with the Barna Group, but the other research that I've looked into on this topic, is, is the anxiety and depression. You can, you can draw a pretty straight line to the use and quantity of screens as well and, and how, the addict, how, how basically the addictive behaviors are driving so much of, of what's going on there. So there's the worldview shaping influence there's the information overload. There's the always in contact, you know, with the outside world. Then there's the fact that they've never had an undocumented moment of their life. Right. I mean, they are truly the ones that grew up with everything with their parents, you know, created their you know, basically journals on Facebook, everything else. I mean, they've, so sometimes people are negative when they talk about this generation and sometimes net rightly so on certain aspects, but they've had to figure out what does it mean to always be connected and everyone always knows what I'm doing all the time and everything else. And so that's where we have a real opportunity for discipleship for Gen Z is how do you leverage this for influence to build, you know, God's kingdom, not necessarily your own, to master social media, not be mastered by it. Um, I mean, those are the kinds of things that we really need to help them because it is a massive um, massive issue. And one of the things that I think as parents and people listening to this podcast, I meet so many parents and Sean, I don't know what your experience is on this, that they'll just have given their kids phones already by like eight, nine, 10. And like, we're one of the last ones that haven't, you know, and, and things like that. And I would encourage parents to be very careful before you just basically give your son or daughter a smartphone and basically give them unmediated, unmediated access to all of what's going on without you there to kind of narrate and help process with them uh, in in the midst of that. So screens are a major, major shaping influence for this generation.
0: Let's shift to some practical things that parents, pastors, youth pastors, youth workers, mentors can do. But I love on page 103 of the study, just called Gen Z, that again, you commissioned with Impact 360 and a, a Barna report. You say they are not so very different from us at that age. And I think the point that you're making is we look at these studies and think they have different worldview, different experience of truth, different belief about the Bible, but they're made in God's image, and we have much more in common with this generation than we do difference. Now, given that you make, I think that's such a wonderful, important point, can you give us some practical things? Let's just start with parents. In light of the research that's come out of Generation Z, what are maybe two or three practical things parents could do?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is, is one of the biggest gifts you can give to your Gen Z or in your household is a safe place for them to ask questions and express doubts and process what they interact with. Because they are being, their whole experience is being narrated by the culture, by the media, by Netflix, by the house. So are you having any conversations? You know, if if your son or daughter's watching a TV show, watch some of it with them and ask questions here and there. And, hey, what do you think about that? Tell me more about this, you know. At those times when you can guard some time for family meals and different things like that, ask questions and help narrate some of what's going on in, in that. But create safe space for you. Don't freak out if they say something that's like, oh, I don't know that I believe this. It's like, well, okay, that's a great question. Tell me more about that. You know, and freak out on the inside, not on the outside, and kind of engage them. But the second thing that I would do is, is create more opportunity for challenge and a little less bubble wrap. Um, as a dad, I totally get this, the desire to keep our kids safe and protect them from everything. And, and I, I get all that. But it, protection is not a long term strategy for growth and maturity. And so we've got to take the bubble wrap off and actually bring some challenge into their life, especially if they're in a home school or private school or, you know, Christian school environment where a lot of that challenge may not naturally come and they can become very easily to play Christian. Uh, We need to bring some challenges so that we can coach and mentor and ask questions along the way so that they can build some resilience and build some strength along the way. So listen, create a safe place to ask questions and bring and, and Create some challenge opportunities for your son or daughter. I think those are, those are some practical things you can do.
0: Those are both really helpful because we tend to just do one. Either create safe place without challenge or challenge without safe place. And it seems the proper solution, even biblically speaking, is both. I think that, that's, that's great advice. How about for either teachers or youth workers who are professionally working with this generation? What are some things that, that maybe they could do to help communicate truth and pass on their faith to Gen Z?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is don't assume that they know anything about what Christianity is, or even if they have some of the vocabulary, that they really have an understanding of what those terms mean or anything else. I would assume, whether it's a Christian audience or a non-Christian audience or both, almost a non-Christian audience as a starting point when you begin communicating, um, because so many times what I've found and what the research bears out is that there's just so much confusion and what we say gets filtered through their understanding of, of feelings and different narratives that they're processing. So don't assume that they have the same categories. Remember that evidence does matter with this generation. Um, that lastly, I think, though, that this is big. Teenagers long for connection and embodied relationships. I think that's one of the things we're actually going to see snap back years to come from now As this generation will, will finally say enough with the disembodied screens and always connected stuff. And the the real relationships matter because a lot of them feel isolated and insecure and alone. So relational connection is huge. Don't assume background knowledge is there. Frame what Christianity is, why it's true, how it fits, all those kinds of questions. And then also influence the things you can influence. Give them reasons for faith. Help them cultivate wise relationships. I call these the three R's of worldview formation. And then help them cultivate rhythms that indirectly affect what they love and what they desire, because that's the thing we can't directly control, but the relationship with God and those desires, a lot of that's them the ability to practice their faith. And, and And this is what's hard is you can't mass produce transformation. You know, obviously it's the work of the Holy Spirit by His grace, but so many times it's like we try to put as many people in a room as possible and think that information alone is going to be transformational, and that's just not going to work, um, especially in a generation that's being shaped in the ways that Gen Z is. We need to take the time, don't have our assumptions, a lot of training, not less entertain- we need less entertainment, those kind of things. I mean, have fun. I'm not against having fun in a youth group and everything else. But this generation, there's a world that, that exists and there's a world that we um, wish it were. And sometimes I think as churches, we try to prepare them for the world we wish it was as opposed to the world it actually is. And that world is a challenging world right now that's very post-Christian or anti-Christian, even depending upon how you define your terms, and we need to do our job as Christian leaders who care about this next generation to prepare them well to engage that world, and that takes time, intentionality, relationship, and 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 really space, which is hard to find in such a fast-paced culture.
0: Jonathan Morrow, thanks for coming on, and thanks for commissioning the study with Barna. Uh, where you're at Impact 360 on Gen Z. I hope listeners will get a hold of it and study it, think about it, and apply a lot of the principles that you have to their ministry and to their relationships. I'd also encourage our listeners to check out Immersion 360 and Impact 360, a gap year and then also a 12-day experience for students that I get a chance to speak at. Thanks for having me regularly to build a worldview for students, two wonderful opportunities and resources our listeners need to take advantage of. Jonathan, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, Sean, it's always a pleasure and love getting to connect with you out here when you visit us at Impact 360. and It's been a fun conversation.
0: We'll do it again soon. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Jonathan Morrow, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.